So Dr. Ben and Polly return to the hollow on Culloden Moor where they left the TARDIS, accompanied by their new friend, Jamie McCrimmon. The young Scot watches in amazement as the Doctor unlocks the blue box and disappears inside, followed closely by Ben. Suddenly fearful, Jamie hesitates, no longer sure he wants to go with these strange travellers. Gently, Polly takes his hand and smiles reassuringly. Unresisting, Jamie allows himself to be drawn inside the TARDIS. Doctor Who. The Underwater Menace by Geoffrey Orme, Episode 1. This. You'll find out. I don't think I want to. It's a machine, my old Aggies, which will take us away from Scotland forever. Where to? Ah, uh, well, that, as the doctor would say, is in the lap of the gods. We never know. Ah, uh, you, you'd not be leading me on now, would you? It's a fact you don't know where we're going. It's quite true. And what's more, we don't even know what year it will be either. Oh, no, I don't believe it. A man can tell a time no time. Robert Burns, eh? Who's Robert Burns? Oh, I should have remembered. What? Well, to Jamie, it's 1746. Robert Burns wasn't born until 1759. It's sort of complicated, isn't it? Well, what's happening now? We're just beginning to land. Hold tight, everyone. Land? Don't be scared, Jamie. It's all right, really. I get a sort of queer feeling. I mean, we never know what we're going to find, do we? Ah, that's the fun. Stand by. Here we go. Let it be Chelsea, 1966. Over the Daleks, I don't think. Prehistoric monsters. What have I come upon? Oh, uh, that wasn't too bad. Let's go outside, Doctor. Yeah, come on, Jamie, you and me first. We well, never know, you know. What? Well, we don't know what's going to be waiting for us out there, do we? Come on, Doctor, open up. Yes, I don't see why not, huh? Looks all right to me. Wait! The doctor grabs his stovepipe hat and pops it on his head. For me? <laughs> the travellers emerge from the TARDIS onto an isolated rocky seashore. This time I'll guess where we are. All right then, where are we? Cornwall. No, you said that last time. And I was right. The Isles, maybe. Don't you know? And a clue. <laughs> Not the Isles of Britain, anyway. How can you tell? This rock. It's volcanic. Not very old, either. How old? Mm. Miocene. What? What? It's only about 25 million years old. Look. Inland, a mountainous peak rises high above them. Hey, that's an extinct volcano, isn't it? Possibly, possibly. You're not going for a wee look round? Yes, let's. Come on. Leaving the doctor on the beach, Polly, Ben and Jamie begin to scramble up the side of the volcano. Oh, give us a hand. 
The climb is gentle at first, but the incline of the path grows steadily steeper. On the beach, the doctor takes out his pocket watch and eyes the position of the sun, starting to make calculations in his head. About halfway up, Polly and her friends decide to stop for a few moments' rest. Oh, I don't reckon we're going to see much when we get there. Ben! What now? I'm beginning to see things. Where? Polly points back down the mountainside. Down there, look! Sure, I saw something moving. Ah, oh, you're round that twist. Oh, there it is again! Did you see anything? Nothing. Then I said we ought to go back. Ah, oh, not me. I'm in the depot now. I'm here. Yeah, me too. Wait for me! Polly struggles to catch Ben and Jamie as they disappear up the steep mountain slope. The climb becomes increasingly arduous, and by the time they reach a plateau near the summit, Polly is tired out. Can't we stop? Have a breather. Ben and I'll go on. You stay here. Oh, no. We shan't be long enough, but before you know it. Right. Ben and Jamie move on, and Polly takes the opportunity to admire the view. It is now clear that they are on the largest of a chain of islands, although some of these are little more than big rocks. The ocean surrounds them in all directions. The faint sound of falling pebbles draws Polly's attention to a cave mouth in the rock wall a short distance away. Curiosity getting the better of her, she scrambles towards the opening and ventures inside. Her eyes adjusting to the gloom, Polly spots something on the floor of the cave. It's an elaborate bracelet in the form of a kneeling figure holding a flaming torch. As she bends to pick it up, a shadow falls over her. Hey, that's Polly! Ben and Jamie dash back down to the plateau. Polly! Polly! Jamie has spotted the cave mouth. Lighting their way, Ben hurries into the cave with Jamie close behind him. Down on the beach, meanwhile, the doctor has finished his calculations and is undertaking a more detailed examination of his surroundings. The rock pools and the life forms they contain are particularly fascinating. Then, in one pool, he discovers some interesting fragments of pottery. Mediterranean? Oh, no. Tidal sea, can't we? It's funny. It hasn't been fired long. Slipping the pottery into his pocket, the doctor decides to find his companions. Moving deeper into the cave, Ben and Jamie discover a tunnel leading into the mountain. Polly, where are you? Polly! What's that? A weighted net falls over their heads and they're thrust into a metal cage suspended over a gaping pit. Ben, Jamie, is it you? Oh, who do you think it is? Oh, You're right, Polly. Yes. Well, look, when you finish, get us out of this contraption. I can't. They've tied me up. Oh. Who are they? I don't know. I didn't see them. The door opens and another figure is bundled into the cage with them. That's all we needed. So they caught you too. With a sickening lurch, the cage begins to descend. Oh, oh there's nothing behind. Me too. Where are we going? That we shall find out very soon. Whatever it is, it's an awful long way down. Oh. Yes, we must be 
below sea level already. Uh, it's difficult to breathe. Yeah. What is it, Doctor? It's a funny taste. Uh, I don't feel very well. Here we are. The Doctor finally uh, manages to untie Polly. Yes, well, don't be frightened, anybody. If they pass out, it's compressed nitrogen. It's called Kaysen's disease. Polly, try and get us out of here. Polly struggles with the net, but slumps to the floor before she can free her friends. The cage reaches the bottom of the shaft. All four travellers are unconscious. Two guards, dressed in strange, primitive clothes, move their bodies to a small chamber where they're stretched out on padded benches to recover. Jamie. Oh. Well, come on, man. Rise and shine. Oh, what do you disturb the dead? Oh, you're not dead. You just got a touch of the submariner's asshole. What are they? They take too long to explain now. This must be some sort of compression chamber. Troglodytes. What? Ancient tribes from North Africa who lived in caves. Possibly. Possibly. Where's my diary? Cavemen? Hey, Jamie, you better watch it. With that kill, someone might mistake you for a bird. What? <laughs> yes, it's difficult to put a precise date on these people. I don't think it is. All right, then. When? I'd say about, um, 1970. Can you prove it? Yeah, go on, prove it. How do you know, Polly? Oh, she's been studying her crystal ball. Abracadabra. Polly produces the bracelet oh. she discovered. How interesting, yes. Hmm. It's Aztec, um, fake, of course. Mexico Olympiad. When we first left Earth, it hadn't happened yet. No, that's right. It wasn't due until 1968. Right, so now it's any time later than that. Later? Oh, I wish I understood. Before the doctor can explain, the door opens. A trident-bearing guard enters the room and stands waiting. Polly, you speak foreign. Go and talk to him. Ask him where we are. Um, parlez-vous français? Sprechen-Sie Deutsch? Hablez-vous espagnol? Resume a pampos postcu. Vulgaric acid. What's that? Gaelic. The guard steps aside and prods them towards the door with his spear. Yes, well, that means move in any language. I think we'd better comply. Um, women and children last. Ben and Jamie leave the chamber. Polly. Further guards stand alertly in the corridor outside as the doctor and his companions are escorted to a small reception area. In the middle of the room is a table upon which a serving girl is setting dishes of food. Without waiting for an invitation, the doctor darts forward to sample the local cuisine. Oh, food. The guard indicates that the girl should leave, then swings his trident at her. The doctor reacts quickly. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you. He steps innocently out of the way as the girl bolts for the door with a grateful smile. Oh, but this is good. The guard, frustrated, leaves the chamber by another door. This is very good. Mmm, it's delicious. This is excellent. Sit down, sit down. 
This is ambrosia. What's got into him? I don't know. I've never seen him go for food like this before. It's usually hats. Better hurry, I'll scoff a lot. They tuck in, though without the doctor's enthusiasm. What is it? Plankton. Plankton? What's that? Well, it's small plants and animals from the sea. Animals? Yeah, little spidery ones. Oh, I don't think I'm very hungry, suddenly. <laughs> you better get used to it. I don't expect there's much else to be had around here. Visitors. <clears throat> the doctor hurriedly swallows his food as a striking figure in splendid robes sweeps into the room. Good day, Joe. This is Ramo, a priest. He is accompanied by four armed guards. We've been expecting you. He speaks English. What's he mean he's been expecting us? We didn't know we were coming ourselves. The living goddess Ando sees and hears all. And she had a message about us? For you? Yes. She told us you would fall from the sky in time for our festival of the vernal equinox. And just what part are we to play in this festival of the vernal equinox? A very important part, I regret to say. Guards? No! Oh. Wait! I have something important to say. If we can say it then. I won't speak under threats. You have five minutes in which to make your point. After that, you will join your companions. The ceremony will proceed. Doctor! Go, girl. What will happen to them? They will come to no harm. Yet. You'll have to go, Polly. The guards remove Ben, Polly and Jamie from the room. <clears throat> Ramo turns back to the doctor. Now, stranger, say what you have to. And do not waste time. There is very little of it left for any of you. What I have to say concerns a certain Professor Zaroff. What do you know of Zaroff? A great deal. He's here, isn't he? How did you know? The food! He couldn't be anyone else but Zaroff. He led the field in producing food from the sea. His progress is astonishing. Uh, you are a friend of Zaroff's? Just send him this message. The doctor takes out a pencil and paper. And you'll see. I will take no message to Zaroff. You're making a big mistake. The serving girl returns. Yes, what is it, Ara? I was told to clear the table. Yes, yes, we've wasted enough time. Ara, take this message to Professor Zaroff. But I... The festival of the vernal equinox is to be held in a vast temple, a cavernous space hewn from the bedrock, its vaulted roof supported by ornately carved pillars. The scene is dominated by a gigantic stone idol, a likeness of the goddess Amdo, her face a hybrid of woman and fish. Before the idol stands an altar illuminated by flaming braziers and tended by robed priests. In the middle of the room is a raised platform with four broad beams radiating outwards from its centre. Polly, Ben and Jamie are brought into the temple and dragged to stand before the altar. I'm scared. What are they going to do to us? I don't see the doctor here. He's escaped, maybe. Uh, some chance of that. Oh, there's a canny one, yon doctor. Dinner fash yourself, Polly. Quiet! The high priest steps forward. Profane the sacred temple with your idle chatter. Attempting to deliver the doctor's message, Ara finds her route blocked by a guard. I must speak to Professor Zaroff. The guard shakes his head. Well, Damon, then. Ben, shall we run for it? No, wait away from the doctor. It'd be better. <laughs> Acolytes close in, restraining the three travellers as they're bound hand and foot. 
Then hoisted up and carried to the platform, a priest removes a cover from the centre of the dais, revealing a deep well and shark-infested waters below. The friends are each laid out on one of the beams, arranged so that their heads are together at the centre, pointing towards the well. Ben, the doctor isn't coming! Don't worry, as long as he's not here, there's still some hope. At that moment, Ramo escorts the doctor into the temple. Oh, no. The doctor is led across to the dais. Ara has finally been permitted an audience with Damon, the chief surgeon. Well, girl, what do you want? Why are you not at your work? I have a note for Professor Zaroff. It's very important. Note for Zara? Let me see. Oh, come, girl. Damon snatches the note from Ara and begins to read. Back in the temple, preparations are nearly complete. The doctor now occupies the fourth beam. The beams are each pivoted at their central points, prevented from tilting by large earthenware jars full of water, which act as counterweights at the outer ends. The high priest, Lolum, approaches the altar. Life is a stream of water that drains away even as time does and cannot be reclaimed. At a signal from Lolum, a small boy removes a bung from each of the jars. Accept, O mighty and powerful Amdo, these your sacrifices. Water flows from the jars into a channel in the floor and the beams begin to tilt inwards towards the well. Doctor! Hold on! Hold on for your lives! Damon returns to his operating theatre where Professor Zaroff is waiting. Here is the note. Zaroff takes the piece of paper and reads, Vital secret will die with me. It is signed, Dr. W. After reading the message, Zaroff crumples it in his fist. In the temple, the acolytes watch in silence as the water continues to pour away. The doctor is desperately clutching at the beam as his head slides inexorably closer to the well. Polly finds herself perilously close to the edge, unable to gain any purchase on the slippery surface. No! Zaroff rushes in. Ramo turns on the intruder. Dare to interfere with the hour of sacrifice. I do not interfere with your sacrifices. But I must first speak with that man. Release him! Acolytes move forward and help the doctor to his feet. Now, this information you have, what is it? First, release my friends. I do not care about your friends, your information, quick, but I do. Professor Zaroff, if anything happens to them, you'll never know the secret I was going to tell you. You... All right. Release them. Take them to the labor controllers. He will know what to do with them. Well, doctor. First, let me say how glad I am to see that the reports of your death 20 years previous were a, a little premature. Mm. 
<laughs> the whole world believed I had been kidnapped. The East blamed the West, the West the East. Oh, I wish I could have been there. And now, here you are, the greatest scientific genius since Leonardo. Under the sea. You must have a fantastic story to tell. Perhaps I'll tell you someday, if you will live long enough to hear. Now this vital secret, what is it? I must know. The doctor glances towards the exit. Once he is sure that his companions have indeed been taken away, he turns to Zaroff. I haven't got one. How dare you? But I was sure that a great man like you wouldn't want a modern scientific brain my mind to be sacrificed to a heathen idol. You know I could have you torn to bits by my guards, yes? Yes. I could feed you to my pet octopus, yes? Yes. But you have sense of humor. I too have sense of humor. I need men like you. <laughs> you come with me, eh? <laughs> I come with you. <laughs> Jamie, Ben and Polly have been escorted to the operating theater and placed in Damon's custody. Your lives have been spared. See that they contribute useful service to the community. Anything you say, mate. What was that? Oh, nothing, nothing. Damon rises from his chair and examines Ben and Jamie closely. You men look strong. You'll be sent to the mines. The mines? Come away. Well, what does he mean? What? Now, wait a minute. Well, what are you going to do with her? Yes, what? I shall decide that later. Jamie and Ben are dragged out. Don't lose heart, Polly! Don't be afraid. Life is very beautiful under the sea. Come and look. A shutter in the wall slides upwards, revealing the seabed illuminated by underwater floodlights. Shadowy figures swim to and fro. 70% of the world's surface is under the oceans. You are looking at our food-producing area. Without it, we couldn't survive. It's fantastic. What are those? Those are our farmers. I think it's splendid. All those people working under the sea to feed the others. But listen, how do they breathe? We give them plastic gills. Look. One of the fish people swims close to the window, peering in at Polly. That surprises you, doesn't it? Oh, it's breathtaking. Oh, sorry, it wasn't meant to be a pun. No, not at all. No, I'm glad you're taking it like this. Uh, some people get most upset when they find they're to have the operation. Operation? Well, of course. We couldn't send you out there without it. You'd drown. You're not turning me into a fish! En route to Zaroff's laboratory, the doctor is keen to find out quite where they are. Just give me a clue, Professor. West of Gibraltar, south of the Azores. The Atlantic Ridge, what does that suggest to you? Ancient temples under the sea. But that's not possible. That's only a legend. Go on, go on, doctor. We're on the ancient kingdom of Atlantis. Yes. Yes. And this is not the perfect place to complete my work. But how did you get them to accept you? Surely science is in opposition to ancient temple ritual and idol worship. I gave them a sugar-coated pill. I have promised to lift Atlantis out of the sea. A guard is waiting respectfully for the professor. Yes, what is it? Uh, pardon me, doctor. With Zaroff distracted, Ara appears. Doctor! Doctor! What is it, Ara? It's the girl. 
They're going to carry out the fish operation on her. Fish? Well, well, well. Ara, do you know where the main fuses are? Fuses? Oh, never mind. Go back to Polly, and if the chance comes, get her away from there! Will you do that for me? Yes. Doctor! In the operating theatre, Polly has been dressed for surgery. Keep away! Bring her here. Two orderlies drag her to the operating table. Don't be difficult, girl. It's quite painless. Lights? No! No! We're ready now. As the orderlies hold Polly down, Damon looms over her, brandishing a huge hypodermic syringe. One tiny jab. And you'll know no more about it until it's all Underwater Menace by Jeffrey Orme. Episode 2. In the operating theatre, Polly is prepared for surgery. Two medical orderlies restrain her on the table. One tiny jab, and you'll know nothing more about it until it's all over. Polly is helpless as Damon advances, hypodermic needle poised. In his laboratory, Zaroff is telling the doctor of his plans. And so you see, my friend, it is all so simple. When Atlantis was submerged at the time of the flood, sunlight continued in air pockets in the mountain's caves. Thanks to the natural air shaft provided by the extinct volcano. Zarov turns to the doctor, who's managed to conceal a pair of wire cutters behind his back. You, uh, like my laboratory, yes? You find all this very impressive, no? Nope. Not a bit, not a bit. What do you mean? The doctor backs slowly towards a power distribution panel, wire cutters held out behind him. I expected nothing less. Great, Professor Zara. As Damon is about to inject Polly... The lights are playing up again. Don't see what's wrong. No, wait. I'd better go myself. Zara might listen to me. Look after the girl. Yes, we have come a long way in our research. And luckily, the riches of Atlantis have provided ample means. Zaroff gazes fondly at his pet octopus in its tank. Ah, so you are hungry today. Did I forget to feed you? He's beautiful, no? Zaroff! Not now, Damon. Can't you see I'm talking with my friend here? This won't wait. 
If I'm to operate on the girl, I must have light. One operation on girl. You are making an unnecessary fuss. I know what's going on. You're using so much voltage on the project that all civil use is curtailed. Ridiculous. I will show you. You follow me. Open the panel. Ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with the civil supply. There's never anything wrong. Look, the supply to your clinic is always adequate and cannot be affected by demands elsewhere. Start off. The fault must lie at your own intake. It's easy to make excuses. Excuses? Who taught you, Damon? Everything you know, I've taught you. As I made you so I can break you. In the operating theatre, Damon's assistants are growing impatient. All at once, the room is plunged into darkness. So Zeroff will listen to him. You'd better go and get some light from somewhere. You'll find some in the old quarters. Don't worry, prisoner. We won't keep you waiting long. Ah, you go. Come here. Ara has entered the room. Keep watch on the prisoner while I search for the fuses. And don't try any tricks, understand? Or it'll be the worst for you. Understand. Seizing her chance, Ara starts undoing the straps, securing Polly to the table. Girl. What? Don't speak. Just follow me. I can't see anything. Hold my hand. I'm used to the dark. Hurry before they get back. In the laboratory, the doctor's tampering has been noticed. He steps sheepishly away from the power supply control panel. I can't think how I came to be so clumsy. I must have bumped into it. You're not clumsy, doctor. You did it on purpose. But you won't save the girl. Damon sweeps out of the room and the doctor makes to follow. Oh, no, doctor. You're staying here with me. As your prisoner, let us say as my guest. Ara leads Polly, still wearing her surgical gown, through a labyrinth of underground tunnels. It's all clear. Come on. Oh, oh I can't stop. I've run a hundred miles. What now? I know where to hide you. Come on. Damon? Ah, it's just an Atlantean, a primitive. Clever, but no vision. Professor, you have offered these people a very big sugar-coated pill to make them accept you, yes? I turn to dreams and prophecies to my own means. Dreams of a people living on a drowned continent must be... To lift Atlantis from the ocean, make it dry land again. Exactly. But now, how are you going to do it? Even a genius like you. Look, Atlantis underwater. Zaroff indicates a model of the city in a nearby tank. It's a very large mass to lift. <laughs> if I can't lift it, then I must lower the water level. You see the valve there? Yes, may I? Please. The doctor pulls the plug from the tank and the water drains away. Simple, isn't it? Yes, but you haven't got a drain big enough to take an ocean. Then I will make one. Forgive me, I'm a little lost. The crust of the earth is more than a hundred miles thick. Below that is believed to be a white-hot molten core. Now, where is your ocean going to go? That is my secret. Oh, now you're making fun of me, Professor. No, no. Even supposing you could drill to the depth of 100 miles, there's a place where a fissure reduces the distance to less than 15 miles. It's still an enormous obstacle, but not insurmountable. We have been working on it for many years. Excuse me, I have been interrupted. Holding up a bag of food, Zaroff returns his attention to his pet octopus. The doctor hangs back for a moment, thinking the problem over in his head. Increasingly concerned by the professor's plan, he tries again. But, Professor... Yes? Even supposing you succeeded, you know what will happen, don't you? You tell me, Doctor. When the water will be converted into superheated steam, the pressure will grow and crack the crust of the earth. 
destroy all life, maybe even blow the planet apart. Yes, and I shall have redeemed my promise to lift Atlantis from the sea. Lift it to the sky. It will be magnificent. Yes. Bang! 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 Like so. Yes. Just one small question. Why do you want to blow up the world? Why? You, a scientist, ask me why? The achievement, my dear doctor. The destruction of the world. The scientist's dream of supreme power. Down in the mines, deep beneath the city, an overseer checks the progress of the work team. Only four loads today. You'll have to increase output or you'll be joining our fish friends. All right, get on with it. A guard arrives with Jamie and Ben. I've another two for you. All right, this way, follow me. Wincing at the screeching of the rock drills, Ben and Jamie follow the overseer to where the workers are laboring at the rock face. Two of the men, Sean and Jacko, are huddled together whispering and do not hear the overseer approach. What's this? Huh? Slacking? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't hear a word you're saying. It's splitting with the noise. <laughs> what have you got there? Who, me? Guard. As the guard hurries over, Jacko palms a small object and passes it to Sean. Search that man. With Jacko the centre of attention, Sean tosses the object to Jamie, who hastily conceals it. Nothing here? Search the other. The guard turns on Sean, who appears to be ticklish. <laughs> Nothing on this one either. All right, this time you're lucky. These two have just joined us. Teach them to be useful. Once the overseer is out of the airshot, Jacko turns to Sean. That was close. What is it? Jamie hands the object back to Sean. Well, what's the secret about a compass? It's as important as eyes down here. Thanks, chum. If they'd found that on us, we'd have been for the high jump, I tell you. It's pleasant after me, though. Suppose he caught me with it. <laughs> well, they didn't, did they? <laughs> Are you planning something, then? That's our business. But what's the matter with you? Are we not all in the same boat? That's right, Jock, and we don't want no one to rock it. The name happens to be Jamie, and I'll no, just... No, 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 take no notice. Uh, he's a bit like that, you see. Hey, watch it. Huh? That guard's looking this way. Oh, well, make out for working. Sure. Zaroff is checking the work of one of his assistants as Damon returns. Your calculations cannot be correct. Let me see. Professor, not now, Damon. Come with me. Oh, Mr. Damon, you're back. Did your operation go well? The girl escaped. Oh, dear. How very frustrating for you. We'll get her back. Oh, yes, yes, of course you will. The doctor wanders across to a workbench and starts examining the bottles of chemicals lined up upon it. It's very important to you, isn't it? I mean, you, uh, you want all the human labor you can get, don't you? Yes, but it's cheap and plentiful. We pick up survivors from shipwrecks who would otherwise be corpses and convert them to fish people. Amazing. The professor leads the field in scientific discovery. <clears throat> what a fantastic conception. To control the world from a test tube. That's right. Well, two can play at that game. Have you ever seen this? The doctor picks up two test tubes and quickly pours the contents of one into the other. Stop him! Stop it! Don't let him get away! Ara and Polly emerge at last in the temple. You understand? You must hide on and go and wait until I can fetch you. But don't be worried. Yes, but... And don't make a sound. Oh, all right. Ara leaves Polly alone. Polly looks up at the impassive face of Amdo, staring down at her. 
then starts climbing the figure, looking for some nook in which she can conceal herself. In the mines, the workers are enjoying a rest period. Ben is less than impressed with the provisions. Don't you ever get sick of this seafood? You learn to live with it. Just watch her, though. They haven't found any way of keeping it fresh, and a few hours just putrid. Oh. Tell me, why do you need a, a compass? Well, there's no point in making a break with that one, is there? Why don't you shout it out to the guard? Look, mate, do yourself a favour and stop treating us as if we're one of them. Jamie and I don't intend to stop here either. See, I told you. Now, come on, boys, will you cheer up? All right, all right. Well, how do you intend going about it? Aye, how? There are guards all over. Well, come on, give. Right. Well, while I was mining a shaft, uh, it came along the uh, entrance to a little underground tunnel like this, you see? That's it. Uh, Where does it lead, though? Well, we haven't been able to explore it. We'll just have to take a chance. Now, if we go... There'll be no turning back. You understand? Yeah. We make it or we don't. Are you with us then? Yeah, count me in. Aye, when do we go? When the chance comes. And we jump fast, do you hear me? The overseer approaches, killing the conversation. They need extra labour up at the project. You two join the line-up for selection. He moves away, but before Sean and Jacko can follow, Ben speaks up. Now's our chance. We're off. Right, Christopher, you're right. If we disappear now, they'll think we're gone to the project work gang. Okay, Jacko? Oh, it'll give us a start anyway. Right, now look, you go first, Jacko. That'll show Jamie and me where the entrance is. Then you go, Sean. Oh, then, then you, then me. Scatter. At the sound of the whistle, the workers form a ragged line with Jacko and Sean at the end. Jamie also joins the lineup. Right, you. 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 How about me, sir? Your tune, you. Get out of my way. When the overseer turns back to the line, Jacko has already made his escape. You. Now Ben steps forward. You. I volunteer, sir. To you. Oh, but sir... Go and join your friend. Ben moves aside. Now Sean you. has gone, and a group of miners close ranks to conceal his absence. To cover Ben, Jamie once more joins the line-up. I thought I told you to get out of my way. Oh, I sir. I'm just going, sir. The overseer turns away, and Jamie follows Ben. Thanks, boys. Grabbing a torch, Jamie dodges around the miners and into the tunnel, where the others are waiting for him. Come on, man, we haven't got all day. It's taken a long time, isn't it? Yeah. Is that you? Aye. Come on, hurry Come up. Come on, bring the light. All right. That's the way. Look, suppose this don't lead any place, and we want to come back. <laughs> you warned, mate. They killed runaway workers on sight. Above, in the city, the guards are searching for the doctor and Polly. Oh, we better try the small chamber. As the guards move off, there is a movement to one side, and the door of a large cupboard opens. The doctor emerges from his hiding place. Looking back inside the cupboard, the doctor is fascinated by the garments within. Guards' uniforms. He tries one of the uniform hats for size. Inside the chamber, the guards make a quick search. Nothing here. A compression chamber next. As they're moving to the door, they meet Ara coming in. Seen any strangers, girl? No, sir, nobody. Satisfied, the guards leave. Seconds later, the doctor enters the chamber. Ara! No, wait, Ara! It's me. Oh, it's you. Where's Polly? Safe. I'm taking her some food and clothes. Good girl. Well done. Ara, where can I find your chief of state? In the council chamber. Why? I want to talk to him. Can you take me to him? Yes, but he'll hand you over. I'll have to take that risk. The doctor and Ara conceal themselves behind a pillar as Ramo and Damon enter the chamber, leaving a guard stationed at the door. Keep your eyes skinned for escaped prisoners. 
Oh, where are the others now? The two young men are at the mine. The girl is still at large, and so is the doctor. But we'll find them. They cannot get away. And what does Zaro think about it all? Oh, he's furious, of course. Could upset his plans. He should not have interfered with the temple sacrifice. You've always hated him, Reynolds. Why? He's a destroyer. He appeals to all that is base in our people. He should never have come to Atlantis. But without him, Atlantis will never rise again from the sea. Can you get Damon away? I want to talk to the priest alone. I'll try. If you please. Oh, but no, not Master? to the same extent. Yes, yes. I believe I've seen the girl difficult. you are looking for. Where? Down by the market. Show me. Ara leads Damon from the room, and the doctor emerges from hiding. Can I have a word with you, Ramo? Doctor! Which... We're both on the same side, Ramo. You distrust Zara out of instinct. I distrust him because I know the truth. Why should I trust you? That's a very good question. I wish I could think of a good answer. All right, tell me what you know. Can we talk here? I know a place where we shan't be interrupted. Down in the mine tunnels, Jamie, Ben, Sean and Jacko reach a junction. Yeah, which way now? This away or that away? Oh, one is as good as the other. Well, let's try 50 paces up each tunnel, then turn back. Yeah. Jacko? Well, I suppose I'll go with you. We'll take the high road. Oh, let's go then. Which leaves us with the low road. road. In the temple, the exhausted Polly has fallen asleep, hidden in the shadows of the idol. She doesn't wake as Ramo leads the doctor to the altar. Come this way. We shall not be interrupted here. Now, tell me what you found out about Zaroff. He says that he's going to raise Atlantis, yes? That's not quite true. He intends to destroy Atlantis. A difficult task. It's easier than raising it. How will he destroy it? He intends to drill a hole through the Earth's crust and drain away the ocean, yes? Yes. Have you any idea what will happen if he does that? I'll show you. Filling a small pot with water. May I? The doctor seals the lid and places it over a brazier. This pot is the Earth. This is the ocean. The ocean drains into the Earth. Now... But the center of the earth is hot, far hotter than this fire. So what happens? But this is child's play. What has this to do with Zara's project? But this pot is Zara's project. Watch. <clears throat> well, the pot begins to boil. But the steam can't get out. And so, I think we'd better stand a little further back. Get down! The doctor picks up some pieces of the shattered pot and shows them to Ramo. Zaroff intends to raise Atlantis, but in little pieces. You swear this is true? Well, I thought I might mention it. Of course, if you don't mind being blown up, can you stop him? But I? I'm not the ruler of Atlantis. If I took you to our ruler, Thas, could you convince him? I might. Wait here. Ramo hurries from the temple. Settling down to wait, the doctor drops the pot fragments, then rummages in his pocket and produces his recorder. 
Well, what beats me is why Atlantis hasn't been discovered before. Oh, maybe it has, but nobody got back home to tell the tale. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Hey. Ben and Sean flatten themselves against the wall, then jump out on an unsuspecting jacko. Hey! It's me! <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't be too careful these days. Yeah, but where's Jamie? Went with you. Oh, he's gone on. I came back to collect you and Sean. Now, what do we do? We're not even to the end of this one yet. I think the best thing to do is you go back to Jamie, and I'll go on and meet you in ten minutes. Well, yeah, but where? Where? At the, uh, at the fork, okay? Right. The doctor has not been waiting long when Ramo returns. Put this on, could you? He hands the doctor a cloak. Could I? <clears throat> these robes, no one will challenge you. But the doctor is more taken with the elaborate headdress. How do I look? What? Jacko and Ben make their way through the gloomy tunnels, emerging from the passage onto a narrow ledge. Jamie! Down here! Jamie is below them, clutching grimly to an outcrop of rock. Are you hurt? No, but watch it, the rock's slippery. Hey, well, don't worry about us, just cling on. How far down is it? Ten feet, I'd say. What's underneath it? Ben peers into the chasm below and grimaces. Why don't you get further along there? He eases his way carefully out onto the end of the ledge. Then he crouches low, balancing precariously as he stretches one arm down to Jamie. Can you reach it? Ben lies flat on the rock, his upper body leaning over the edge of the chasm. Transferring his weight to one hand, Jamie reaches up and manages to grasp Ben's outstretched fingers. With Jacko holding his legs, Ben reaches down with his other hand. I think I've got a foothold now. But the slippery rocks make it difficult for Jamie to get a purchase, leaving Ben and Jacko to do all the work. Straining and puffing, they haul him up over the edge, and at last the Scotsman scrambles to safety. In the temple, Polly awakes at last and climbs down from the idol. You needn't think I'm afraid of you, you stupid thing. But Polly freezes as a hidden door opens in the base of the statue. She shrinks back into the shadows as four figures emerge. Polly! Blimey, look where we are. Back at the temple. Somebody down there. What? Who? Ah, it's Polly. Polly Ryan's. You know her? Yeah, of course I do. She's one of our lot. <laughs> Well, we found a tunnel in the mines that led into this idol. So here we are. What's this rig out in idol? You're going to turn me into a fish. Into a fish? No, we have friends with us. I'm Sean and this is Jacob. Have you seen the doctor? Well, not since he went off with Professor Sarah. Why haven't you? No, but I'd love to know what he's up to. Ramo has smuggled the doctor into the Atlantean council chamber. Ramo? This ruler of yours, is he? His name is Thaus. He believes Zaroff to be the deliverer of Atlantis. King Faust sweeps into the council chamber. Good evening, brothers of the temple. Please be seated. What is this important business you want to tell me about? Most excellent, Thaus. This is a matter of life and death. Under no other circumstances would I have brought a stranger to you in temple garb. A stranger? Who are you? A man of science. Science? Ah, I see. 
One of Professor Zardoff's colleagues. Perhaps we should ask him to join us. Oh, no, no, I, I, <coughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you. In fact, um, I, uh, I wanted to speak to you alone, Excellency. The king looks at Ramo, who backs away respectfully. Well, speak. Excellency. The professor is a wonderful man. Wonderful? A worker of miracles. Indeed, you speak the truth. But have you noticed his eyes lately? No. When he talks of his project, have you noticed his eyes? They light up like this. What does this mean? The professor is as mad as a hatter. Mad? Zaroff? Completely. The doctor taps his own head with his knuckles. No answer. Sad. I do not understand. We, uh... Ramo steps forward. We believe Zara to be working towards the destruction of Atlantis, not its resurrection. I have heard such words from you before, Ramo. This man has proved it to me. Zara's plan will split the world in two. This is not the action of a sane man. But your own priests proclaimed him to be the prophet who would raise us above the sea. Lolan, he is old and superstitious. And your superior, Ramo. Remember that. So you will not listen to us? I did not say that. I have heard your arguments. We've only just begun. I have heard enough. Now leave me, and I will consider what you have said. I know you will choose well for all our sakes. Ara returns to the temple with provisions. Oh, I'm sorry I was so long. Here's some food. Ah, food. And clothing. Yes. Super. Thanks, Ara. Look at this. Listen, why are you doing all this for us? You were kind to me, and I hate Zara. Hate Zara? We are not all his slaves. He will find out one day. Let's hope we find out soon. Do you want all that food for yourself, then? Come on. Oh, sorry. Look, Ara, have you seen anything of the doctor? Yes, I'll take it to him later. What's that? Oh, quickly, he was tired. They're coming. Back where we came from, Ben. Right, the safest place in the whole of the there's no need to be afraid, girl. Ara looks up at the statue in awe. Aren't you coming with us, Ara? No. I must stay here. I'll be missed. Are you still going to remain here all night? The serving girl slips away as the others retreat to the safety of the hidden chamber within the idol. Sometime later, Thaus summons Ramo and the doctor back to the council chamber. I have given much thought to your words, and I have come to a decision. There! Is your answer? Two attendants throw open the council chamber doors, revealing Professor Zaroff and his guards. Do with them what you will. Zaroff smiles in triumph. Jeffrey Orme.
Episode 3 In the Atlantean Council Chamber, King Thaus has decided to hand the Doctor and Ramo over to Zaroff and his guards. There is your answer. Do with them what you will. So you're just a little man after all, Doctor. Like all the rest, you disappoint me. You disappoint me, Professor. I didn't think a man of science needed the backing of thugs. Never care, Doctor. Your life is in a balance. Well, you mean you haven't told your own people what's in store for them? Are you afraid, Zaroff? I have made a mistake. If I had not interfered with the temple sacrifice, the sharks would have torn you apart. But it's not too late. I'll return you to Lowland and tell him I need you no longer. And he can have that stupid priest as make weight. No. You've no quarrel with Ramo. I persuaded him to help me. I'm the one to blame. That is not true. I have always distrusted you, Zara. Take them away. The curse of Amdo be on you. Goodbye, Doctor. Have a pleasant journey. Let's not say goodbye, Professor. We'll be seeing each other again. Not in this world, Doctor. The guards drag the Doctor and Ramo from the council chamber. Zaroff turns to reassure King Thaus. As always, there is nothing to worry about. And there is no truth in this man's arguments. The man is a fool. Have I not sworn to you that Atlantis shall rise again from the sea? Haven't I? Haven't I? Thaus stares deeply into Zaroff's eyes. What are you staring at? Nothing. Nothing at all. In the temple, Lolum leads a procession of acolytes to take their places before the altar. The shark well is sealed, and the platform that stood over it has been removed. In its place now stands an executioner's block for two. The doctor and Ramo are thrust forward. What happens now? First a supplication, then... Accept, O powerful and mighty Amdo, these your sacrifices. Ramo and the Doctor are forced to their knees, heads bent over the block. I'm sorry I got you into this, Ramo. We'll all have to die sometime, Doctor. If it is the will of Amdo, it is inevitable. As the executioner raises his sword, an unearthly scream echoes through the temple. The priests freeze at the sound. This is the voice of Amdo. Hear me. Bow down your heads that Amdo may accept your sacrifice. Bow. Let no human eye witness this awful moment. The doctor looks up. I know that voice. Priests, acolytes, and executioner are bowing down, eyes averted from the block. Ramo. Don't be afraid. Get up and follow me. Come on. Ben is standing at the base of the idol, beckoning them forward. He ducks back out of sight. He who looks on the living face of Amdo shall die. Ramo and the doctor tiptoe past Lolum and the supplicant priests to join Ben, Jamie and Polly in the secret chamber beneath the idol. Lolum gets to his feet and eyes the empty block. A miracle! A great and powerful miracle! Safe in the hidden room, Ramo cannot contain his astonishment. Unbelievable! Holy she is, and I never.
never guess Lando's secret. Oh, I thought I recognized the voice. How on earth did you manage it? This is linked to the back of Lando's mouth. It's a bit old, but oh, it works. It was the sweetest sound I've ever heard him in life. Thanks, yeah, well, keep your voices down now, they'll hear us. No, they won't. Put the fang hole in. So Amda was made to trick her worshippers. Ben, how did you find this place? Oh, we find it by chance. A tunnel in the mines leads straight here. Jamie! Doctor, uh, that's Sean, that's Jackal. So I tell you, it's complete. Everything will be ready in two days from now. In the council chamber, Zaroff has been telling Thaus of his plans to raise Atlantis. To think that after so long, the great day is at hand. We shall surprise the whole of mankind. Yes. A very great surprise. Perhaps the greatest ever. I shall order special prayers today. Why not? It will keep the people happy. Let me in! What is the meaning of this exalted lowland? A miracle, mighty Thaus, before our very eyes. Tell us. Mighty Amdo, goddess of land and sea, has accepted the sacrifice of the priest and the little doctor. Indeed. What a miracle. They vanished into air before they could be beheaded. No. Disappeared, you say? How? They were in our midst and we bowed our heads in prayer and we looked again, they'd gone. You lie, priest. You allowed them to escape, no? You discredit the mystic power of Amdo? I believe what I see with my own eyes. The truth, Lolan. I tell you, the voice of Amdo spoke to us. <laughs> the little doctor no longer lives. You're certain? By the spirit of Amdo, by the all-beating heart of living Atlantis. Perhaps he is right. It is a miracle. You may go. Yes, go. And pray to Amdo that you are right. May the wrath of Amdo engulf you. I'll take my chance. Get out. Lolum leaves. Is it wise to sow seeds of doubt by discrediting a miracle just now? Yes. If the doctor is at large, he can be an even bigger danger. We must search the whole of Atlantis for him. But Lolan has Maybe said... Lolan can raise Atlantis again from the sea with his prayers. Give your orders, Zaroff. It shall be as you wish. Now you are talking sense again. The point is, where do we go from here? Yeah, where? Hey, tell us, Doctor. Our course is plain. We must attack Zaroff. He has gone mad and is bent on destroying the whole world. Only a short one in which to stop it. Well, just tell us what to do. Food. <coughs> You're hungry, Doctor. Hmm? Hungry? Well, no. I mean that Zaroff and his people cannot exist without food. Oh. But there's always plenty of food for everyone. The sea is all around us. The supplies are unlimited. Yes, but who provides it? The fish people do. The fish people? Exactly. And why? Because they are slaves. But slaves, like worms, can be made to turn. Right. So if you organize the fish people to cut off the supplies, Yes, but that's no good. Then they'll just go and live off their stocks. Tell them, Ramo. But we have no stocks of food. Exactly. Zaroff has not yet found the answer to his great problem. All his seafood goes bad in a few hours and has to be thrown away. That's true. And so, I get it. We get the fish people to go on strike. Oh, you are dreaming, man. No, hold on a minute. We could try right yes, enough. but what would that do for us? What would it do for us? <clears throat> well, I don't know, really, but it's a start. Do you think you can do it? Well, we'll have a go, Doctor, but it'll take a great gift of the gab to win over the fish people, you know. But you are Irish. <laughs> well, come on, laughing boy, tell me, how can we contact you? We'll make this place our headquarters. Huh? If nobody's here, just leave a message. Good luck. I oh, will need it. What are we going to do? Kidnap Professor Zaroff. Oh.
The Atlantean marketplace is at the very heart of the city, a bustling community of traders and artisans. Polly has enlisted the help of Ara, and the two girls make their way through the crowds, looking for the doctor. Having finally changed out of her surgical whites, Polly is dressed in seashell-decorated costume and headdress, identical to her friends. At last, Polly spies the doctor on the steps of the fountain in the middle of the market square. He is also in disguise, a cloak, headscarf and dark glasses, bells on his wrist and tambourine in hand. He picks up his recorder and tootles a hello to Polly. Polly moves to sit by the doctor, then leans across to take a drink of water from the fountain. She spits it out in disgust. What do you expect? This is Atlantis. There is movement at the far side of the square. You know what to do. So. <laughs> Wait a minute. There is something's gone wrong. Where's Zaroff? As Zaroff's guards approach the fountain, Ara leads Polly across the square to the nearest exit. But more guards appear, blocking their escape. Frantically, Ara looks around for somewhere they can hide. She spots Nola, a trader selling carpets, and takes Polly over to the old woman's store. Dear Nola, we need your help. Guards, they're looking for me. Polly lies flat on the ground. Nola and Ara hastily throw a rug over her as the guards approach. Have you seen any strangers about old woman? Everyone's a stranger these days. Why do they stay away and leave us in peace? What have you got here? A guard thrusts his trident into one of the rolled-up carpets. How shall I sell my carpets if you stick holes in them? <laughs> the guards move on. Ara helps Polly to her feet. The girls melt away into the crowd. Across the square, Jamie and Ben, both dressed in the black uniform of Zaroff's guard, approach the doctor. Zaroff's on his way, close behind us. A real guard passes close by, and Ben squares up to the doctor. Hi! You see anyone come through the marketplace? <coughs> a man? Yes. About five foot nine. That's right. <coughs> black coat, baggy trousers, a bow tie. Exactly. No, as a matter of fact, I haven't. <laughs> He's gone. We'd better get in position. Right. Polly! At the doctor's call, Polly returns. She hands the doctor a small bag of pepper, and they separate once more as Zaroff strides into the square. He pushes his way through the crowds and approaches Ara. Where's that man who has been a moment ago? What man, sir? Answer me, girl! I don't know. God, search over there. Spotting Ben and Jamie, Zaroff takes them Sarah. for his own men. You two come with me. Obediently, they follow. Suddenly, the doctor darts out from between two stalls, calling out to the professor. Sarah! There he is! There he is! Stop the The doctor circles around the fountain, and Zaroff directs Jamie and Ben to cut him off. Grabbing the doctor between them, they make a show of trying to restrain him. But the doctor wriggles free, dodging past Zaroff and out of the square. Zaroff chases after him into the city tunnels. The bad! Which way did he go? Hiding her face, Polly points along the passage. Moments later, the doctor dashes into the temple where Ramo is waiting. It's all well. He's close behind me. I hope I haven't set too hot a pace for him. No, here he comes. Rama kneels before the altar. 
Zaroff runs into the temple, Ben and Jamie following, Polly not far behind. You must be a someone. Search the temple, yeah. Who present the dear priest? Ah! The renegade priest himself! Gas! The doctor lifts his recorder. Ah, doctor! At last! And blows pepper into Zaroff's face. As he staggers back, Ben and Jamie see Zaroff and with Damon drag him towards the idol. They follow the others into the secret chamber. Meanwhile, at the underground lake, which serves as living quarters for the fish people, Sean and Jacko are attempting to sow the seeds of a rebellion. Go on, tell them. Tell them what? I'll tell them nothing. They're not people like us. They're just a bunch of sardines. You heard me. Cold-blooded fishes. You haven't got a drop of good red blood in your bodies. Below them, some of the fish people are becoming agitated. A flat fish from Galway would have more guts than that bunch. This last insult provokes a strong reaction. Pebbles and shells fly as the fish people retaliate. But Sean is delighted with the response. You would turn a little child. <laughs> what would they do? I'll tell them. All right, all right, all right. So calm down and listen. Listen, will you? You supply all the food for Atlantis, right? It can't be stored, right? It goes rotten in a couple of hours. That's why Zaroff has you working like slaves night and day, right? Well, has it never occurred to your little fish brains to stop that supply of food? Feed yourselves, but starve Atlantis, huh? What do you think would happen then? Well, now is your chance. Will you do it? Or will you stay fish slaves for the rest of your lives? You're men, aren't you? We'll start the blockade right now! One by one, the fish people disappear beneath the surface of the water and swim away. I reckon they will do it. Who knows? We can only hope for the best. It does not take long. Sean's words have had a profound effect, and the message spreads quickly amongst the fish people. Before long, the first underwater strike has begun.
have underrated you, doctor. I hardly imagined you would have the nerve to kidnap Sarov himself. <laughs> What's so funny? Hey, what? I don't see what you've got to laugh at. Dear lady, if you wish to stop my plans, you are all too late. Too late? The process has started. My nuclear reactor is activated. And when the desired figure is reached, fission will take place, and none of all this will matter for any of us. He's only bluffing. Nothing can start without him. Ah, Doctor, how do you know that? Simple. The great Zaroff would have to be there to set off the explosion. Miss your big moment? I think not. You cannot hold me. My guards will never find you. Not inside the temple you have defiled, Zaroff. You are fools! Idiots! I'm right there, the lot of you! If I... You keep... Doctor! Oh, it's a ruse. What's the matter with him? Some sort of attack. That stopped him. The project won't be able to go ahead now, will it? I don't know. We'd better make sure. But well, what would you do? Get inside that laboratory. Then I'm coming with you. Yeah, me too. No, somebody's got to stay here to look after Zaroff. I'll stay. You can't bide here by yourself. I'll stay with her. Very well. Come along, quickly. Right. Take care. Yeah. The Doctor, Jamie and Ben emerge into the temple, just as a procession of acolytes approaches the altar. Not enough service. This is not going to take some time. Could we not just slip out? Polly eyes Zaroff warily. Doesn't seem possible, does it? What? Well, look at him. Doesn't look very menacing now, does he? There is still evil in this man. It hangs over him like a shroud. You will pay dearly for your crimes, Zaroff. I know. I know. But before I die, please, you must help me to pray to your God for atonement. Why should I help you? Have pity on me. At least help me to stand at your side so I may feel the aura of your goodness. I think you should. He does look very ill. It's more than you deserve, Zaroff. But for the blessing of Ando, I will grant you this last request. As Ramu helps him to his feet, Zaroff makes an astonishing recovery, his hands tightening around the priest's throat. Ramo shoves Zaroff away and picks up a spear, but Zaroff snatches the weapon from him. As Ramo falls to the floor, Zaroff lunges at him. No, meddling priest! This is the end of you! Polly darts forward, trying to pull the spear away. Don't stop it! But Zaroff repels her and drives the spear into Ramo's body. Snatching up a sword, Zaroff seizes Polly by the wrist. You will come with me. <laughs> In the temple, the doctor, Jamie and Ben emerge from hiding as the last of the priests disappear from sight. Live, you'd have thought it'd taken that long. Let's get started. Yeah, quick. Just a minute, I've had a thought. What? Jamie, you'd better watch Sarah. Oh, why? Well, we need a guide, and only Rabbi knows all the passages. Oh, if you say so, doctor. Doctor! No! Is that all? Ramo staggers from the idol. Ben and the doctor help him down as Jamie goes to check on Zara from Polly. Clutching his side, Ramo sinks to the floor and his eyes close. Is he? Yes. Zara was having us on! Polly's gone! Zara's taken her as a hospital! Let's go! No, Ben! Jamie! You go after Polly. Only watch out. Zara's a desperate man. Right. Ben, you and I have other fish to fry. Come on. 
Her wrists bound together, Polly is being dragged through the passages beneath the city. Wait! I can't go on anymore. You will go on if I have to drag you. Wait. Did you hear anything? No, nothing. Come on. You want the same treatment as the priest? No. Come. Spying Jamie, Polly pulls free. Wait! Come back here! Come back! I'm on you! Jamie is untying Polly's wrists when Zaroff catches up with them. He launches himself at the young Scot, slashing wildly with his sword. Trying to help, Polly hits Zaroff on the head with a large rock, but this enrages him further. Jamie tumbles to the ground, but is saved as Sean and Jacko appear, forcing Zaroff to back off. He grabs Polly, using her as a shield as he retreats to the nearest tunnel. Pushing her away, he makes his escape. He's away! Jamie, quickly, we've got to go and warn the doctor. Well, the doctor's going to find a heap of trouble if Zaroff gets back there fast. How do we find the laboratory? Ara, she's the only one we know who knows the way now. You, you go back to the temple and we'll go and find her. Damon brings King Thaus news of the fish people's rebellion. Slaves are in revolt. They've cut off all food supplies. I cannot understand it. Why do they act like this when the hour of triumph is at hand? They're just slaves. What can you expect? Where is Zara? He should be here to attend to this. Disappeared. Disappeared? He can't have. Go and look for it. There is no time, Excellency. You must take control now. So be it. I cannot let my people starve. Bring them before me that I may hear their demands. Yes, Great House. I will tell them. All-wise, all-seeing Amdo, help me now. A figure appears in the doorway. Zaroff! Where have you been? We've been looking for you. The workers are in revolt. My guards will restore order. They are simple people. I'm sure they Those will Those who be... resist will be killed. Killed? I have no time to waste. Zaroff, you are subject to me in all matters. I will not have my people. Your people? Your people? They are my people now. I hold the whole world in my power. The doctor was right about you. I order your project stopped at this moment. Guards! The king's guards step forward, tridents ready. Take Zaroff to the temple and hold him there. But Zaroff signals his armed escort, who draw their guns. You're a fool! You're a fool! I'll send you to your beloved goddess Amno to discuss the future of the universe with her. I demand... You... You demand, you demand. Well, since your, since your beloved goddess has developed such an enchanting appetite for people, it is only fitting that the great South should offer himself. No, no, I shall offer him. Throwing aside his cloak, Zaroff raises his pistol and shoots Thaus down in cold blood. Kill those two men. The two Atlantean bodyguards fall dead at Zaroff's feet. Nothing in the world can stop me now!
Menace by Jeffrey Orne. Episode 4. Kill these two men! Zaroff has shot King Thaus and his bodyguards and taken control of Atlantis. Nothing in the world can stop me now! A short while later, Ben and the Doctor enter the council chamber and discover Zaroff's handiwork. Doctor, look at this! Someone's been having a right punch up in here. But it's the governor, it's Thaus! Is he all right? I don't know. He doesn't seem to hit anything vital. It doesn't look too good, though. Neither for you with a bullet in you. If we don't stop Zaroff soon, we'll all be for the chop. I know. Come on, we must get him to safety. But then what? To the generating station. Beneath the idol, Sean, Jacko and Ara wait impatiently. Are you sure the doctor said we are to meet here? He must come back soon. Well, if he's not back in five minutes, we'll move on, OK? Oh, where to? If the whole earth is going to blow up in a couple of hours. <laughs> You're a great comfort to have around. Did anyone ever tell you that? <laughs> Anyone at home? Oh, Doctor! Oh, what's wrong? Well, he's wounded, but don't worry, Ari, he'll be all right. Well, where's Polly and Jamie? They've gone to Zara's laboratory. Why? To look for you. I showed them which way to go, and then they told me to come back here and wait. Well, we'll have to find them. <clears throat> now, listen, everyone. I have a plan. Good. It might even work. Well, our one hope of stopping Zaroff is to flood all this lower part of Atlantis. Well, but that means in here. Yes, the temple... And Zara's laboratory. Yes, but will the water stop there? I don't know. We'll have to take that chance. Yeah, but the people here. Well, they'll have to be warned and move to a higher level. That's your job and Sean's. And you? Ben and I will try and get into the generating station. We'll turn up the power on the reactor, break down the seawalls, and flood the laboratory. There's only one thing that's worrying me. What's that? Can we all swim? In the laboratory, Zaroff scientists are unaware of the drama unfolding elsewhere in the city. Stabilizer station Z2 calling. Routine check. Control receiving. Stabilizer's normal. Nothing to report. Thank you, station Z2. Report again at zero minus five. Will do. Let's forget another ten minutes. Priority. Priority. Reactor station Z3 calling. Reactor station Z3 calling. Zaroff here. Reading maximum. Gages four, five, and six steady. Gage three, fluctuating and unpredictable. Bring in the reserve. The reserve? But if that fails... That is an order! Report back if the fault continues. Yes, Professor. Nothing can go wrong now. Nothing must go wrong. Emergency power network control. Zarov here, what's the trouble? Station 11 is no longer operating. The workers have deserted. Deserted? What's the matter with them? Where are they? They're out looking for food. Why? The food supplies have not arrived and there's a rumor we're facing starvation. They've all panicked. And no reserves. That's right. Get them back at once. Send the guards after them. I've had to bring the guards into the plant to prevent a complete breakdown. Well, do the best you can. I get more men to you within the hour. Blast! 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 An armed guard keeps watch at the entrance to the generating station. The doctor and Ben arrive, keeping out of sight to avoid detection. Ben is still dressed in his black uniform. 
are we going to get past him? Oh, oh, past him? What, in those trousers? Oh, you think I look a bit conspicuous, do you? A bit, yeah. Maybe you're right. I know. You're a guard and I'm a prisoner, right? Right! right. No, don't make a mess of it. That's a good job. Halt! Prisoner and escort for Professor Zaroff. Password. Right? Password. Yeah, well, look, it's all right for you giving me the, the old chap, mate, but I don't know nothing about passwords. I've been out chasing this Burke all day. Professor Zaroff's not here anyway. Yeah, well, I know that. My orders was to bring him here and wait. That's all very well. How do I know he's a wanted man? Well, blimey, look at him. He ain't normal, is he? Yes, I see what you mean. All right. You don't know the password either. It's Oscar. Get him out of here! Oh, get out! Thanks, mate. Well done. <clears throat> I'm not quite sure about that not being normal, Pip, but very well done. I couldn't have done better myself. Thanks. Halt! Give me the password. Oscar! Pass, Oscar. Go on now. We've got little time. Inside, a single engineer is at work at one of the control panels. Ben sneaks up behind the man and knocks him unconscious. <laughs> okay, what now? Cut those cables. Ben removes a pair of wire cutters from the engineer's pocket and sets to work. The focal point of the room is a huge flywheel driving the main generator. As Ben's sabotage continues, the flywheel falters and begins to slow down. The doctor crosses to one of the panels and begins to adjust some control levers. You know what you're doing? Oh, what a question! Of course I don't! There's no rule against trying, is there? There! Now, the Zara's laboratory. You should be feeling the effects of this little lot any time now. There's a gap through here. Jamie and Polly are wandering in the tunnels under the city. Oh, Jamie, I think we're lost. Are you sure this is the way Ara told us to come? Aye. All the tunnels look alike, though. Now, listen. We must be somewhere below Zaroff's power source. Ah, it's like the beating of the devil's heart. We're not far wrong. We'd better keep going. The laboratory can't be far away. Aye, but which way? That reading must be wrong, you idiot. I'll check it myself. No, that's not possible. Come here. Look at that reading. That's all we need now. Radiation leak. Where the devil is it coming from? In the tunnels, Polly and Jamie are cautiously traversing a narrow ledge. I told you, don't look down. But Jamie, look. The wall down there, it's glowing. What is it? It could be radiation. Oh, what's that? Radiation, well, it's, oh, it's too difficult to explain. The walls are beginning to crumble. It's all that vibration. Let's see. The sea's on the other side of that wall. Now, if that gives way, yes. there must be a way up to higher ground. Seawater begins to pour through a small crack in the rock. Jamie and Polly scramble along to the end of the ledge and dash up the next tunnel. Let's get breath. Lucky it's uphill. Take more time for the water to reach us. What's that? It's giving way. The sea's breaking through. Elsewhere in the tunnels, Sean and Jacko are carrying Thaus between them on a stretcher. Ara follows anxiously. Huh? Will you listen to that? What is it? 
How would I know? But it certainly isn't closing time in Patty Murphy's pub. It can be only one thing. It's the doctor, of course. He started a flood Atlantis. The sea's breaking in. Suppose Atlantis from the sea was only the dream of a madman after all. Rest. Uh, Don't speak. Aye, rest. And you best forget about all that now and look to the future. That is, if we're going to have any future. The lower levels of the city are already flooding at terrifying speed. In the temple, a torrent of water smashes through the wall, toppling the stone idol. Well, personally speaking, not being a terribly good swimmer myself, I think I'll just start to make a move. Ah, we've got a visitor. Ah, oh, oh, David, you got my warning there. My operating room. A life's work washed away. Damon. Thousands. We can start again, Damon. Look, if we don't hurry and get on the high ground above water level, we're going to be turned into fish food. Yes, you're right. Well, that should help. Well, we've got a long way to go yet. Come on, Jack. Oh. Up. Gently now. That's it. Polly and Jamie are still trying to outrun the rising tide. Their worst fears are realised when they turn a corner and find themselves facing a rock wall. No, it's a dead end. Jamie, we must go back. We've got to warn the others. There must be another turning. No, I kept an eye out for one on the way up. Besides, would you listen to that water? We've got to get out of here somehow. As Jamie raises his candle for a better look, the flame gutters. You see that? There's a draft. Right, that's what we'll follow. I'll go first, and you stay close behind me. Jamie begins to climb. Damon, Thaus, Sean, Draco and Ara have reached a cave in the mountain high above the city where Damon has set up a temporary first aid station. Artificial respiration. Refugees huddle in small groups, wet and shivering. Your wound? A little better. How is my poor country? The water already flooded the lower parts of the city. A great enemy we held at bay for so many centuries. The everlasting nightmare is here at last. Rescue parties are being organized. All passages have been blocked except the main shaft. We're keeping that open till the last to give the stragglers a chance. What of Nolan, the priest? Well, last see he was going towards the temple to seek aid from Abdo. He is lost then. We may still find them. Are you all right, then? Good, look after yourself. Oh, hey, Jacko, any luck? What do you expect? They must have all been drowned. Ah, well, probably a better death than the ones in store for us when Zaroff lets off his explosion. Hmm? Surrounded by technicians, Zaroff is issuing his final instructions. No one, I repeat, no one will leave his place. Everything goes according to schedule, except that the time of the big detonation has been advanced. The whole project will be activated from this control point. That is all until zero minus five. Ah. The doctor and Ben enter the laboratory. We must connect you. Good day to you. I hope I'm not too late. Uh, there is a man who has been trying to sabotage all our plans. Make sure he doesn't leave us now. Oh, oh how very nice of you. But uh, I'm afraid I've interrupted something important, haven't I? Oh, yes, I can see that I have. 
You're on the point of exploding your firecracker, won't you? <laughs> I hope you've let these gentlemen into your big secret. They share everything with me. Naturally, they can't help themselves, can they? They must be devoted to you, to allow you to blow them all to pieces. What? What's he talking about, Professor? Oh, have I dropped a brick? Oh, I seem to have shaken some of them. Zaroff, I think you ought to know. The sea has broken through and is about to overwhelm us here. Don't listen to him. The man lies. <laughs> then perhaps the distant roaring that we can hear is just the goddess Hamdo with the indigestion. He's right. Come on. Don't be alarmed. Don't be fools. Ah. They're cowards, traitors. But it doesn't matter. Time is running out, Zaroff. And you better call it a day. Zaroff steps backwards and reaches for a control. You cannot beat me, Doctor. A metal grill drops down from the ceiling, isolating Zara from the rest of the room. <laughs> you see, I have anticipated every situation. There was always a possibility that someone would try to keep me from my ultimate moment of triumph. Now no one can get through this, and all the controls are on this side. But all I must do is press the plunger when the needle of that dial is over the thousand mark. Simple, no? I tell you, so that you may share the last great experiment of Zaroff. <laughs> his rocker. No. We've got to get him out of there. Come over here. I've got an idea. Don't go away, Doctor. You will die just the same. You might as well stay and watch me. Hold the candle. Oh, would you be careful? Sorry, I didn't do it on purpose. In the tunnels, Jamie has climbed to the top of the wall. Right. There's a wee hole down there. I can't see where it leads to, though. If you're willing to take a chance. I have a choice. Jamie pulls Polly up onto the wall, and they crawl onwards into the next gloomy passage. Behind them, the seawater swells higher. Only just in time. We're not out the wood yet. Back in the laboratory, Ben is getting anxious. Doctor, I've got to go. The water's nearly here. I see you have your deserters too, Doctor. That leaves just you and me. Goodbye. Young fool. I will press the plunger along before the water gets here. The result will be the same. I know. The doctor looks around and spots a lighting panel and wiring matrix. He rips out a section of cable and the lights go out. But it's much more exciting in the dark. <laughs> doctor, you are a comedian. <laughs> Sarov draws his pistol and activates the control to raise the grill. The lights come back on again. You see, keep very still, Doctor. We have an emergency system here. You have solved nothing. Now, unfortunately, I have to tie you up. Turn around. But in the darkness, Ben has returned. He lowers the grill, dodging back underneath it as it falls, leaving Zaroff cut off from his controls. You cannot do this to me! Enraged, Zaroff fires his pistol wildly as the doctor and Ben make their escape. Oh! 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 Crossing to the bars, Zaroff struggles to reach the detonation plunger, but it's just beyond his reach. Outside, Ben is impatient to get away. Doctor, hurry! Now what's the matter? Ben, I've been thinking. I can't leave Zaroff to drown down there. I'm going back for the water. No, we've got to get out of here quick. We'll be cut off, but we can't leave him there. Look, you're coming with me! Reaching a small cave in the tunnels, Polly sinks to the ground. Oh, oh it's no use, Jamie. I'll never make it. Of course you can. One wee slope more away. Oh, and another, and another, and another. It's no use. I won't, Jamie. I Come can't. on. No, no, I can't, Jamie. I can't. 
Polly! Polly! Jamie drags Polly roughly to her feet. Calmer now, Polly accepts Jamie's hand and together they continue to climb. Ben and the doctor are trying to keep ahead of the water. They're forced to stop again as the doctor realizes the extent of the flooding. He's cut off. Sarah, who cares about him? But these others must be too. Well, are they? Well, how do I know? All we can do is to go on going up. Come on. Back in the laboratory, the seawater is already waist high. Zaroff clings to the grill, one arm outstretched, desperately trying to reach the detonator switch. As the doctor and Ben struggle up a steep incline, Ben loses his footing and falls. Oh. We're nearly there. Of course, if you will lie down and sleep. I've said anything about lying down. The doctor helps him to his feet. Jamie and Polly finally emerge from the tunnels. Fresh air. They find themselves in a cave just above the shoreline, and together they stagger towards the exit. Oh, made it. Ben and the doctor. I'm thinking you wouldn't have stood much of a chance back there. They may have. Polly turns away, blinking back the tears. Leaving her with her thoughts, Jamie sets off despondently towards the beach. Polly stares vacantly after him for a few moments, and then, removing her Atlantean headdress, follows. Below them, in Atlantis, seawater is still pouring in through the breached walls, finally claiming the lower reaches of the ancient city for its own. In the laboratory, the water rises rapidly, eventually shorting out the power. Zaroff remains fixated on the detonator and is still trying in vain to reach it as the water closes over his head. Safe in the cave, high in the mountain, the Atlantean refugees are counting their losses. Any sign of the doctor? No. He must have died saving us. We'll raise a stone to him in the temple. No. No more temples. It was temples and priest and superstition that made us follow Zaroff in the first place. When the water has found its own level, the temple will be buried forever. We shall never return to it. But we will have enough left to build a new Atlantis. Without gods and without fish people. Yes, that shall be his memorial. But the Doctor is not dead. He and Ben have navigated the labyrinthine tunnels, and at last they can see daylight ahead. Doctor, what about Polly? Come on. Grimly, Ben leads the way out of the cave. Not far away, Jamie and Polly are sitting dejectedly against a large rock. 
There is a noise behind them. Jamie draws his dirk and begins to circle around the rock. However, he's in for a pleasant surprise as the doctor steps into his path. Boo! You! Me? We thought you were dead. Russ? Polly. It's good to see you. Come on, you two. The doctor and his companions set off back to the TARDIS. Sean and Jacko emerge from the cave just as they disappear inside. Oh, no, I can't believe it. What? A flaming English police box. Right. Off we go into the wide blue yonder, as someone was once heard to remark. Hooray. Yeah, I'm not sorry to be out of that place. Jamie, you're not seen a fish. Oh, you want to take a wee nip of yourself, Benjamin. He's not exactly a bonny bunch of heather. <laughs> you sound very happy, Jamie. Oh, hi, Doctor. I am now. You know, I never thought I'd say this, but, well, it's great. What is? Well, all this. Well, I'll never know what makes it go, mind you, but, well, at least I feel safe in here. It's only the wee things outside that are, well, alarming. <laughs> He's got a point there. Yeah, you can say that again. Is it a fact, though, Doctor, that... You can't exactly control the TARDIS. Control it? Of course I can control it. No, no, what I meant was, uh, can you not exactly make it go where you mean it to? If I wanted to? It's just I've never wanted to. Oh, yes, I bet. Right. Just for that, I'll show you. Now, where's we go? I know. Let's go to Mars. As the Doctor adjusts the controls, the TARDIS shudders and lurches. The Underwater Menace. Well, you had a cuckoo in the nest, didn't you? The cuckoo in the nest. Jamie Mc... What was it? McMinnum. McCrimmon. 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 Can't see. Who had met on Culloden Moor. Right. Joined the TARDIS. Right. Did it feel like a cuckoo in the nest? No, it didn't. It never did. And um, afterwards, you know, when Mike and I were asked that question, 
um, we just, and Pat too, we just felt it was another member of the team, and the bigger the team, the more fun we were going to have. So there, well, there, wasn't, there wasn't any kind of um, backbiting or bitching or, or anything like that. We just thought, yeah, more fun. And Jamie was such fun. I mean, Fraser, uh, Fraser is such a, a joy to work with and, and has a fund of jokes. And so he and Pat, of course, got on with the joke side. And um, so, no, it was just the more the merrier. And he and Pat came very close, didn't they? They did. So, Underwater Menace, originally, Jamie wasn't supposed to be there because it was, I think, a last-minute decision to bring him aboard. Was it true? Mm. So a lot of his lines are sort of nicked off you and Ben. Ah, he nicked our lines. Well, had I known that, it might not have been so jolly. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, No, I I think it's a great character, and the three of you worked very well together. It's a shame Mm. maybe it didn't go on a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, you know, three or four stories later, Ben and Polly left. Yes. Yes. This story, a bit of location work. You all went down to uh, Winspit. To Winspit. Mm. And you know the strange thing about that was that I lived... Is it 40 years later? Mm. I'm living just up the road from there. And that the locals said, you came down here and you filmed. And there were photographs of you in my local pub. And we couldn't find the photographs. And I couldn't remember what it was that we'd filmed. And it's only now, this year, that I realised that it was The Underwater Menace and that we filmed literally down a few yards down the road from my little cottage. Can you remember how yes. long you stayed down there filming? Um, well, knowing the BBC, as brief as possible, you know. Um, so we must have gone to my lovely pub and probably just a day, I think. Did we stay a night in a pub and go back next day? Maybe, at the most, two days, mm. you know. Any particular memories of filming down there? I mean, obviously it's a lovely part of the country and you obviously love it because here you are now. I know. I forgot all about it. I forgot entirely about it. And what's so curious is that I walked in those caves and there was no memory. I didn't, I wasn't, there weren't like bleeps going off. Oi, you know what, you filmed here. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Completely gone. Until now you show me the photographs and then, oh, yeah, well, of course, you know. Yes, and I didn't even know if we'd gone down to... No, it wasn't. We didn't go to, to Ealing and we weren't in the water with Zaroff. No, we didn't do any of that. You know what? Now that we've been working on it and um, the story, it's really quite um, frightening and dramatic. And the thought of... I mean, you know, the thought of us... The fo- thought of us slowly slipping down those those posts and into the shark pit. No wonder I have these nightmares. And, and the other... It's a sort of um, symbolic... Um, nightmare that the water is rising and that you've come, you've, you're hitting a brick wall. I mean, that is an absolute nightmare. And when I'm listening to Polly's character and she's playing it for the full thing, you know, it's terrifying. No wonder the kids were frightened. I'm frightened, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think this is a story which actually benefits through the pictures being missing. I mean, in a bizarre sort of way. <laughs> well, in a way, because because the storyline is is strong and dramatic. And um, it has to be said, we were giggling, that the sets definitely let the show down. They definitely did. They were very hokey. Was that a big disappointment? I mean, presumably it was professionally, but did you actively think, that? oh, this is a shame? Yes, you know, we this did. Is... Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And the awful thing was, the awful thing was, you see, that we, um, that Pat and, and, and Mike and I were, we were a very strong team. And um, so then when poor Julia Smith came on board and... You look back, and um, it was her first thing that she was directing. And so I suppose she was 
very nervous, and Pat didn't suffer fools very easily, and he very almost immediately didn't get on very well with her. So I'm afraid, I feel ashamed to say, that we, we, did, we did set this thing up, which made her, of course, worse, because she was feeling more and more insecure. Um, and we thought the story was hokey, and um, Lovely, who plays Zaroff, Lovely. Joseph First. Joseph First. Was completely over the top. So, you know, again, Pat and Mike and I are just, you know, uh, snivelling away in the, in the, in the wings. Um, and also, it, it, for an actor, it makes it very difficult. If you're trying to um, act space, like, you know, the large marketplace, and in fact, you're turning around on a thripney bit, it's very difficult. And I think when I, when, I can, when I see those little bits, actually, I'm hunched over because I don't be big and wide and expansive because I'm going to fall off the set, you know. <laughs> so there were difficulties. Yeah. There were definitely difficulties with it. Julia Smith, of course, went on to create EastEnders. I know. So she had quite a career after that, although, of course, she also created El Dorado, which she probably wouldn't like us to talk about too much. You say you didn't, as a crew, you didn't really get on with her that much. Why was that? I mean, was she pushing for things she didn't understand you couldn't she get? She was very or? difficult. She was very difficult. I think, um, you know, if you look at it, if somebody is, if it's their first job and they're moving into something as well-known as Doctor Who and, you've, and you're met with a very strong crew who've been working on it for quite a while already, um, then that will produce. So, so her way of, of trying to hold it together, not to go with the jokes, um, but to try to be in more and more control, and of course we we resisted the control. So now you have a setup. Mm. You know, she she gets frightened and wants to control us more, and we are determined not to be controlled. So you know, so you have this unfortunate setup, mm. and um, and we uh, you know have to say, looking back, and I'm ashamed really at, at treating somebody like that, and um, and I have to say because everybody's gone anyway, that, you know, that Pat was very much part of it. Well, I thought, oh, no, cow, what's she want now? Whoa, you know, mm. and that, it's, this is difficult. Because I remember that also, that in some way, he kind of blamed her for the, the fish people, as we called it, um, you know, really being a, a bit of a flop, actually. Mm. We thought it was a bit of a flop. And, you know, if, you, if we look at it now, um, those images of those, you know, those, those fish people behind mm. the... Um, it was early days. It was we hadn't, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't got the technology, and it was so. At the same time as it being kind of weird and spooky, at the same time it was also kind of hopelessly hokey. <laughs> the great thing about doing it on audio, of course, is that we can go back to the original scripts. Yes. So we can describe the temple as it was described in the in the script. Yes. So we can actually build it up a bit. Well, exactly. And uh, sell it a bit more than exactly its original realization was. That's right. And so now that while we've been doing it, you and I, this afternoon, one gets involved in the story and the whole, you know, the, the, the idea of this vast temple and the sound effects to that are great. You don't, you don't see this little tiny hokey little set. You imagine it as being vast with all these priests and the torches blazing and, yes, you know, and the shark pit below, which we're going to slip down into. Ah! <laughs> And the great thing is we can do all this without lying because we're, you know, we're selling it on audio, but we're not yes. actually lying because that's what it says that's in the script. That's what it says in the script. <laughs> and it's, yes. it's our interpretation of the script in yes. exactly the same way as that was Julia's interpretation visually. So yes. we, can, we can bend the rules slightly. And, of and course, poor thing, you know, her budget was probably, you know, two and mm. six for the week, mm. you know. So, mm. yes. I do remember, I remember the, um, I've said this before and people have heard it before and so you'll have to forgive me, but that, that costume, that shell costume was 
bloody uncomfortable because they were they were those um, scallop shells that in those days of the 60s we used as um, ashtrays and so they collected a whole load of those and sewed them onto a sort of leotard so and they were digging into me so it was absolute agony <laughs> but I, I think it got a lot of letters from young girls writing in loving the costumes well they, were, they didn't have to wear them <laughs> they didn't know what it was like but no it, it's yeah. it is quite a strong image and, yes. and i think it's one of the images which comes off whereas I mean, fish people don't yes you know, there's the, the, yes. the fish people going on strike in episode three yes and it's all done sort of five minutes of floating around on kirby wires and it's it's quite funny yes but it was it was brave to do it all the same yes. and and again you were mentioning the sounds the sounds contribute a lot and, of course, we're left with those now and they yes. can contribute to what we're doing. Yes. So the sounds, um, tell me again, because that's, that's, that was early... Um, well, synthesizers. It was um, Dudley Simpson. Yes. Dudley Simpson wrote the music for this one and it was done at the Radiophonic Workshop. He had two sessions. He had one with a, a small choir and did all the chanting stuff. And then he had another session at the Radiophonic Workshop where he did all the synthesizer stuff, right. which was actually done on, I think, what a multicolour tone organ which was a very early synthesizer, basically. Fantastic. And so that's where all that sort of strange organ music comes from. So that was pre-all pre the sort of synthesised music that, they, that the rock musicians used? Mm, yes, I mean, very. It, it was about the same time as it was all, all developing. It was all beginning. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Was location work fun? I mean, did you like going on oh, location? Oh, we love going on location. Anything to get out of the... BBC rehearsal rooms, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but sadly, um, my time in Doctor Who, there wasn't nearly enough. There was mm. there was Cornwall for the smugglers, and there was um, the what's it Heath, the Heath outside. Well, yeah. Well, you did Highlanders anyway. We did yeah. the Highlanders, and then we had this one the, the, down in in, mm. in Dorset, and that was it. Gatwick Airport. And Gatwick Airport. Can you imagine how boring? I just want to say, I just want to say, for the record, that um, doing the narration for these stories is absolutely a treat and a joy for me. It really is, because I'm back there again. I'm working with my buds, you know, and, and, um, and also I find myself getting really sort of emotionally involved there when, when um, my character, Polly, is, is um, you know, she can't do it anymore. I feel, oh, poor little thing, she can't do it, you know. It's very, it's very um, emotionally disturbing, <laughs> um, but also a joy because I get to work again with Pat and listening to his wonderful voice, mm. absolutely marvellous voice he had. You say what a range he had from what the low, range, dark brown, chocolate brown, chocolate right brown. up to the... Uh, could get quite excitable and high pitched and, and all arranged. This little all recorder, heaven, yeah. absolute heaven. It's got a couple of classic lines in it. This one hasn't it? Oh yes, yes. And we loved, we loved. We would always make him do it again. And he didn't know we were taking the piss, which was really funny. <laughs> Nothing in the world can stop me now. And we'd all fall about with laughter and say, "Oh, go on, do it again." <laughs> you say he really didn't get it. Joseph, he, did, he didn't know we were we were mocking him. And what was the other one? Uh, Jamie had a few, but I like dinner flash yourself. We like that. Yes, yeah. he was being desperately yeah. Scottish in this. Desperately one. Scottish. And you've got yes. a good line. You're not turning me into. You're a fish. not turning me into a fish. I loved that one because um, prior to that, Polly's going oh, ah, ah, and suddenly she realises what's going on, and all of a sudden the voice drops right down. You know when you when you when you get into your power moment, your true power moment, your voice actually drops right down, and you say ah. No, you see, and then you know it's very clear. So Polly was very clear she was going to be turned into a fish. But you see, Mark, Mark the, 
I'm thinking of my children sitting at home watching these disastrous things going on to them with their mum, you know. I'm sure it's affected us um, <laughs> psychologically for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yes. Talking about um, Polly's moods and Polly coping with things, there's a sequence here which we had to talk about when we were doing this, um, where Polly's exhausted and collapses and, and, and Jamie drags her up off the floor. Yes. And we weren't quite sure whether Jamie slapped her around the face or just pulled her roughly off the floor, and we decided that he probably just pulled her roughly off the floor because it yes. wouldn't be quite a Jamie and Polly thing for Jamie to actually raise his hand to Polly, even in that sort of circumstance. No. Thought. No, and actually, I um, I think in a way that there, there must have been a sort of written law where the companions, they you know, while while you know, it's like Ben knocks him unconscious, and you know, um, while while we do it to other characters, we don't do it to, to each other. We are a support team for each other, so we don't do that. So he so when Polly's getting hysterical there because she can't make it, and the water is rising. I mean, I completely identify. You know. Oh, oh, I and I actually, she uses a voice which which I do now, and I don't want to do something. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want. I. And so he's got to stop her somehow. So I think he yes, as we said, he 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 hoiks her roughly to her. That's enough for her to be shocked. She's shocked enough that he's he hoiks her roughly. That's enough for Polly to be shocked out of the um, the um, what's the word when you're um, hysterical. Mm. She's becoming hysterical. No wonder. <laughs> well, she's nearly been turned into a fish, and she's now about to drown. <laughs> and the hypodermic needle, you know, he's coming down with a hypodermic needle, and it's the end of the episode. Well, that, that is the only clip from that episode that still survives, of course, because the Australians thought it was too frightening and cut it from the programme. I've never seen it. And they threw away the, the, the programme they'd kept, eventually. But they kept the they bit kept, they cut they, out. They kept the bit that... Well, I've never enough. seen that. Mm. I'd love to see that. Mm. It's only very brief, and it's just a guy coming out with the syringe. I have to show it to my son. Does he remember it when he was watching it when he was three or something? <laughs> Did you think a lot about your, your characters, the three of you, well, the four of you at this stage, or was it very much you just read the script, got on with it and did it? Yes, I think that, um, you know, we sort, of, we sort of knew who we were by then. And, um, but we did... We were all the time altering words ourselves to things that, you know, if it was, some, if it was a way that we wouldn't speak, we would... And by then, luckily, it was lovely. We didn't have to fight for it too much because we were already established. So, you know, we could say, look, I think I'd rather say that. OK, fine. That we didn't have to fight, you know. Um, but most of the time, people were writing for us because they knew. I'll tell you one other thing that really um, struck me about listening to this one um, was because I'd, I've, never, I've never read the script since before we did it... Um, once again, I'm struck by how strong Polly's character is, actually. She's very feisty and she's in there. And how wrong I got it 30, 40 years later, you know, when we were doing... We were talking in The Myth Makers mm. and so forth. Um, and I was saying, you know, that uh, she was a bit weedy. Well, and I got masses of letters from people saying, no, she wasn't. Well, I, I did get it entirely wrong, because she wasn't. She was very feisty. She was in there bashing people on the head and... You know, and and wheedling and deedling. And making lots of tea. Making lots of tea and <laughs> coffee. <laughs> yes, I'm always amused when we get to those bits, because it, it is very much a 60s thing, but you were fighting against that. I was fighting were... against it. I was always fighting it. I'm still yeah. fighting against it. <laughs> yes, and actually, in a way, it's interesting, because after I left, then, then Pat and Jamie, Pat and, and Fraser, um, the, the jokes definitely became... You know, the 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 girls were definitely at the mercy of Pat and 
and Fraser's jokes. And I wouldn't have stood for that, you see. Mm. I was very, you know, Germain and Greer hadn't come along. The old feminism thing hasn't started, but I was in there fighting for my corner. Mm. I was. I think Debbie and Wendy did that. Uh... Yes, yes, they did, they did. <laughs> that all happened after I left, you see. I wasn't there to take care of them. Mm. Mm. The um, Talking about changing lines and things, um, Patrick was notorious, I think, for sort of ad-libbing his way through scripts anyway. Oh, he did, partly because he couldn't remember them, so he'd make it up as he went along. Um, but the great thing was he was marvellous at doing it, so everybody just, you know, ro- raised their eyes to the ceiling and said, oh, well... You know, and thank goodness they did because look, look what he did with it. And that must have made it quite fun as a job as well. I mean, you had to sort of fight with you that. You really and... had to be on your toes with him. You did, and you know, so in a way, it was like working in improvisation. You couldn't, you couldn't miss it. It was, I mean, as as training as young actors, as training, this was the best. You couldn't get better, you know, because we had the best technicians, we had the best directors. We, Sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, we had the best of everything, and we had the best actor to work with. Mm. And it so, was weekly television, so it was like weekly rap. Weekly rap, you know. I remember um, listening to Nigel Havers um, saying, "You know, the, the BBC trained me." They were saying, "What about your training?" And um, although I'd gone to drama school and everything else, but actually, my time in television is what trained me as an actor, and it also trained me actually in life because if you can have that extended awareness of yourself that you have to remember your lines, you have to be aware, for instance, of not letting the light shadow the person that you're talking to, that you have to hit your mark and all these, and the, the set may be falling down outside, but you've got to keep going anyway because it's live telly and you mustn't cut the tape and so forth. If you have this expanded awareness, that actually trains you for the rest of your life. You know, you have an expanded awareness of of your of what is going on for you. Mm. So it was an amazing, an amazing training. I think um, this story, as we've hinted, has a sort of maybe slightly undeserved reputation as being a total clunker, um, largely, I think, because of its production values. How do you feel about it, having come back and spent a day working on it? Well, I think it's a bit muddly. I think one gets a bit muddled. But actually, I think it's very dramatic, in fact. I think it's very dramatic. And the idea, of course, for me, having, I think, been there in the first time round, to, you know, to be revisiting Atlantis, very exciting. Mm. Um, and the temple, I'm surprised that Polly had, wasn't a little bit more in awe of the, of the god. She was very clearly, stupid thing, she said. She should have watched out for that, because you never know these things. But, um, yeah, so I think it was undeservedly... Um, treated as one of the sort of the bum steers because actually I think it's 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 better than, than we remember. I mean, if you took that script now and you could use the sort of technology that they now can use, you could make it fantastic. These curious people swimming with these weird little faces and so forth and the market square, then we could do it, you know, like a huge market square, which would be brilliant. I loved I loved Pat's disguise. I mean, I loved that, that he had this little scarf and these ridiculous dark glasses, you know. <laughs> I'm sure that was him, you see. That was absolutely him saying, here, Luna, I'll put some shades on, man. <laughs> you know, I bet. <laughs> Good fun. Good fun. Tremendous fun. <laughs>